Here at Affect Autism today, we have a special treat. We have Dr. Gil Tippy from the Rebecca School in Manhattan, among many other hats that you wear, Dr. Tippy, <laughs> with us to talk about moving up and down the developmental ladder when we are talking about DIR floor time. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Tippy. So thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we are very happy to have you. And thank you also for helping out on the last blog that we did about setting appropriate appropriate levels developmentally for our kids, not only with discipline, but even in play, understanding where they are developmentally. And I guess this sort of flows from that blog when we're talking about doing DIR floor time and playing with our children and interacting with our children anywhere, not only in play, we're always thinking about where they are developmentally. And that doesn't necessarily remain static. So that's the piece that, that's one of the most important pieces of this DIR floor time intervention. That the person who is supposedly offering support to the person on the spectrum has to have in their head the functional, emotional, developmental capacities and where that child or that adult is at that given time on those developmental capacities. And so that's the piece that makes this, you know, on the outside of it, this looks like just play without any necessarily without any goals because it is directed by where the kid or the adult is and what their interests and their desires are. So it can look very much like it's just play on the outside. The, the secret is, of course, that the person doing the intervention is holding this developmental model in their mind and thinking, okay, where am I encountering this person at this given time? And that really guides the intervention. So what could just look like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun, but it doesn't look particularly like it has any goal, um, is actually a fairly, a very sophisticated intervention. It's all because the person is working on this model, uh, working off the model that they're holding in their mind. Okay, and I thought we could give an example, and maybe you can sort of guide us through some important points. Um, so let's use my son as an example, because I, I give some examples of how DIR floor time is done with him from time to time on the blog. He is operating between FE DC 1 and 4 with islands of 5 and 6. So if we're working with him and we're playing and he can get to a state of being self-regulated where he's engaging with us and able to interact with us and we have that back and forth and we're working on FEDC 4 which is the problem solving, social problem solving. We might build a tower and he's very excited to build a house, let's say, out of big pillow blocks. And then he might swing and knock the house down. So we might figure out different ways that we could build the house and figure out different ways he can knock it down. So we can use the different techniques we talk about, such as playing dumb and playfully obstructing him like, hmm, it's not working. What do we do? And at some point he gets frustrated and dysregulated and runs away or starts kicking everything over. At that point, we had him in a place where we were working with him at a level three and four, but at that moment, he drops back down to level one. And as a person intervening with him using DIR floor time, we have to think, how can I get this child to self-regulate and share attention with me again? Yeah, well, I don't think I don't think the child has to self-regulate. I mean, eventually, what what's going to happen is if you do enough co-regulating with a kid, they begin to understand that they have
have inner resources, right? But if I'm flipping out and I'm driving down the street and my partner is in the seat next to me and I get cut off in traffic and I begin to lose my cool, I don't only have to self-regulate. I have a partner there who's going to say to me, oh, no, no, calm down. You always get upset, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever it is. Of course, calm down almost never works with me. <laughs> but the answer is that we're talking about co-regulating, right? So you have the ability to help, uh, in this case, your kid, but the person intervening or I think intervening might be too heavy-handed. I think I prefer the word support. The person supporting here, uh, the co-player, the person who's in it with the kid or the adult, they can offer a lower and slower way of being to help a child, the adult, to get back to that regulated state. The goal, of course, is that eventually we want to be able, we all want to be able to realize that we have inner resources, realize that we can stop blowing up, that we don't have to blow a gasket, but it helps to have someone there to co-regulate. Now, if you're working with uh, somebody at functional emotional developmental capacity four or five, and you think you're really cooking along, and then the, the person blows a gasket and drops back down to functional emotional developmental capacity one, I would say, let's see if there's a way that we can do this. If we can push the kid, uh, we can push the adult in a way that helps them to grow, but without them blowing a gasket. So um, I always tell people it's a little bit like driving a car with your foot on the gas and on the brake at the same time. It's a very subtle thing and you have to be in a relationship with somebody in order to do this intervention. So um, the relationship is, of course, partially because you want the person to trust you and be with you. But it's also important that you be able to read the person and be able to say, okay, if I push you in this particular way, I know what you look like before you come to pieces and I can back off just enough so that you have experienced this little bit of frustration that we all need to experience and then you can step back a little bit, gather yourself and then be ready to move back up again. I, I think that's the subtlety of this intervention and why a great practitioner is like old, you know, As someone who really knows the person and somebody who really understands the model and someone who really can walk that line where there's just enough tension and not too much tension. And that's the space in which we grow, that tension area. Everybody needs to be pushed a little bit, neurotypical and not neurotypical alike. So I think I have an example of that type of tension that you're talking about and reading the child, because we've talked about this before, how important attunement is, really being in tune with that person. You have a relationship with them. You almost sense what they're feeling and what they're going through, and you can read what's about to happen. Let's say my son is very frustrated because he He's trying to build this house, but he's trying to put a square block on a triangle point so it's not staying, for instance. Um, and he's getting frustrated. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. The co-regulating piece, of course, would be, oh, no, it's not working. Oh, what should we do? Oh, no. Hmm. Well, actually, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that's co-regulating. I think... I think what that is, that's continuing to, a cha to challenge him. Now, he's already dropped developmentally. What I would say in that case is like, oh, oh. You know, that's the, I have entire empathy for you. Mm -hmm. I understand that this is horrible, and let's get back together and get connected. To say, what should we do next, is actually calling on a higher developmental level. And at that point, you know, you're going to get hit with a block. <laughs> okay. So somewhere in between those two things, like, oh, yeah. oh, and giving him that look, 
Like, oh, I get it. I see. This is frustrating. Mama do it. Mama do it. Mama do it. Oh, I'm trying. Oh, no, I can't. He gets this little, it gets to a point where he starts to giggle while he's frustrated. So he sees that I'm not going to do it for him. And so he's frustrated, but then he gets this giggle because he knows he can do it, but he's a little bit anxious to try. And I see this with him often where he gets to that point where, you know, I'm really calling on him. Come on, you can do it without saying that. Um, Oh, no. Hmm, I can't reach. And getting him to reach. and He gets frustrated, but he's giggling. So you're the expert with your kid, and all parents are. I mean, they really are the experts in their kid. And I think that's one of the things that floor time is really good at is helping parents to understand, oh, you're the key. And so you know your kid better than everybody, and you realize that you can push him a little bit in those moments when he's frustrated. And because he finds you charming, amusing, perfect, delightful, as children do find their their mommies, he's willing to go there with you. That sounds great to me. It sounds perfect. And that uh, being able to tolerate a certain amount of frustration on his part is fantastic because that's the zone in which he's going to go. What, what I think people mistakenly do is that they will go to actually fixing the block situation so he's no longer frustrated because they just can't tolerate seeing their child frustrated. It's the same basic impulse that I think we all have. I think the society has sort of made it where we want to protect our children all the time from everything, any kind of frustration, any kind of boredom, any kind of pain, any kind of... But that's really not actually good for them in the long run. We want to keep them basically safe. We want to keep them healthy and fed and loved and all of those good things. But we also want them to know that when you encounter a problem, if you take some time and you marshal your resources, you probably can solve that. I think that's a really good point because I was going to bring that up next, which is it's one thing helping the child tolerate the frustration, but I find the biggest challenge is the parents tolerating the frustration because you do see parents rushing to solve things and, oh, here you go, oh, you want this, you want this, you want this, before the child even has has time to react. So I'm glad you brought that up because it is something that I see very frequently with parents. I might see one extreme or the other, the parents that are rushing to solve the problem for their child or on the other extreme the parent who has that perspective in mind like no he has to learn or she has to learn so I'm not doing anything and they sort of take back that loving warm compassionate component to the relationship piece and the child feels more frustrated because they're sort of left on their own here's the big secret about uh, DIR floor time right The floor time isn't just for folks who have neurodevelopmental challenges of relating and communicating. This is the way all human beings are supposed to be taught. This is the way that people are supposed to think. This is the way that people are supposed to learn. So actually giving neurotypical children a place to think and a place to be slightly bored and a place where they have to generate their own solutions to problems is the right curriculum. And so that's the big secret about DIR floor time. It really is just good educational practice. It really is just good child development. It's not um, some kind of voodoo. It isn't some kind of thing that was just made up um, last week to try to work with folks with complex and confusing challenges. It is actually the right way to learn. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think that's been a large part of what's been in the media lately with the book Neurotribes from Steve Silberman and and different kinds of uh, media that's come up is about, I mean, the title of your book, Respecting Autism realizing that, you know, just because our child has a developmental disorder, there's still a person whose feelings and desires should be respected like everyone else's. Just trying to meet them where they're at and sort of help them along as opposed to trying to shape them or mold them or do everything for them because you think they can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, well, yes, I agree with all of those positions. I do. But I think that floor time is about education. And we don't say to people who enter the world, oh, you can opt out of education. We say, well, this is what the society expects. Let us teach you. Let us help support you in your thinking. Let us help support you in your problem solving. We want you to become the person you most want to be and who you most choose to be freely, you know, Freedom really isn't the freedom just to do whatever you want. Freedom is the ability to choose the path that you want to take. So I agree with a lot of what's said in the rights movement for autistic individuals, and I agree with a lot of those positions. But I also think we're, we're an educational system, and we do support people to allow them to have more flexibility and freedom to choose the path they want to choose. So getting back to the moving up and down the development on the ladder while we wrap up here, I think it can be very intimidating for people that are new to floor time, hearing about functional, emotional, developmental capacities. It sounds like a big mouthful of mumble jumble until you get familiar with it. Is there anything you tell parents and professionals to sort of help them keep in their mind the developmental ladder from shared attention through engagement, back and forth communication, social problem solving, getting into more emotional creating ideas? How do they keep all of those different levels in their mind or do you think it is just a matter of experience? which it was for me. I knew about floor time, a lot about floor time for about two years before I really, really understood what the functional, emotional, developmental capacities were. And I'm not really sure why that is. Well, the easiest thing to tell people to do, uh, the easiest to explain is maybe the hardest to do, but I will go ahead and explain it to you. Even if you knew nothing about DIR floor time, didn't know anything about any of those jargonistic words and all the fancy sit through a bunch of courses stuff, if you can just get out of your own way and get yourself connected to whoever it is that you're supporting, whether it's your kid or your cousin or your somebody you're working with or your partner, if you can just be connected and really be in it with the person, that's 99% of it. Just be present. The rest of it will help. But being deeply connected and being present in the relationship is actually the hardest thing. And if you can get out of your own way and do that, and you can actually be with the person, you've already got 99% of a therapeutic relationship or Let me take the word therapeutic out of it. You have 99% of a relationship. Okay. And I think, again, we said it before, but that involves attunement. So being connected with the person is, is really seeing if you say something or do something and they get that look on their face that suggests it might be uncomfortable, being able to respond to that appropriately. And, you know, I actually think it's even maybe even less technical than that. 
if very often, you know, mommies come in, I see them for the first time and they just are having trouble getting out of their adult role um, with me. And I, I say, just can you remember what it was like when you really just loved to play? When you really just loved being with somebody else and making up games and, you know, lying on the floor and holding on to a doll and doing those things. If you can remember that stuff, do that now. Channel that piece of you because it's still there. You've covered it up with all this adult stuff, but it's still there. And the joy in being connected to someone else and just um, playing and being with them and enjoying their thoughts and their feelings, that's something that we've given up a little bit to become adults. And I think, I think you serve yourself well when you can just channel that piece of you, bring it back up to the surface. I think the best example of that was in one of my floor time courses, someone was showing a case presentation where a child was into uh, functional, emotional, developmental level five, which is imaginary play and creative um, emotional ideas. And the child wanted to lock up the person who was a therapist. I can't remember if it was a, an occupational therapist or a speech therapist that was doing the floor time. The child wanted to put her in jail and lock her up and say that she was a bad guy. And at the moment, it was disturbing to me that the, the therapist was going along with that. And later in the discussion in class, the teacher who was fabulous, Maude LaRue, who's a wonderful occupational therapist and DIR floor-time tra trainer, said, you have to let play be play and let the imagination go. And if that's where this child needed to do exploring through this emotional theme of jail and locking up and having the power, then you have to go there in that moment. And so I would have to put away any adult preconceptions that I have to say, no, don't lock people up. That's not nice. Don't do that. <laughs> if you're thinking your child's going to do that with another friend or something like that. Well, I'd rather have a kid locking up a kid symbolically in play than throwing something at a kid or acting out physically. So many of our kids, and I don't mean kids on the autism spectrum or with neurodevelopmental challenges. I mean, so many kids in our society don't see any way out except for physical acting out. And, you know, across the society, we don't see this symbolic piece. So if a kid wants to symbolically lock me up and wants to play things out, that sounds fabulous to me. You know, also, um, I think fairly radically, I actually don't care when kids move up the developmental ladder and swear at a teacher. And sometimes the teachers are deeply offended. You know, they come from places where it wasn't right to swear. But I always say to them, do you remember that six months ago this kid was trying to bite you? And now this kid is using language to tell you the same thing he was trying to tell you before. That kid's moved up. And let's not take that personally for right now. Now, when the kid moves up high enough, when the kid moves into the realm where he is going to move into the larger society in a more fluid way and make choices, then you can say, hey, look, in, in the society in which you wish to move now, you can't say that stuff. Oh, why not? Because that's not acceptable by those rules. But you can't teach a kid about these abstract rules until they're abstract. So uh, I'd rather have symbolic aggression every time. I would rather have a kid point his finger at me and make it into a gun and pretend to shoot me than to pick up something and hit me with it or to bite me or 
get older and think, oh, I actually do have to get a gun in order to be heard. So, you know, that's, that's what moving into the realm of symbolic thought and symbolic aggression does for kids. It helps them not to have to live in the world of actually have to act everything out. And I think you talked a lot about that in the blog we did last time. Um, we covered that about how it is so important to know developmentally what your child can understand and comprehend. And also, I like a lot of the videos that Dr. Greenspan had done with children who were more at higher levels five and six, where he would discuss things like swearing with them. Oh, did that feel good to swear? Oh, well, what do you think you did that for? And, and he'd sort of challenge them to articulate what was behind a behavior that they did and sort of discuss it all without discussing whether it was right or wrong, just to get the child to think about it and understand. So moving away from impulsive um, actions such as hitting, such as kicking, like you mentioned, but even swearing, and when they get up to that developmental level, talking about it and understanding that maybe there's a purpose and maybe there's an alternative way they can deal with that at some point. Um, but the child figures that out, as opposed to us imposing rules. Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm a psychologist, I'm a clinical psychologist, and um, most of psychology is really happy to work in that realm. Most of psychology is perfectly happy to work with people who have a level of abstraction and who can understand the, the consequences of their actions. What, what I think we in the floor time world do that they're not doing is help kids to actually make that jump into abstraction. The truth is, once you've made that jump into abstraction, and once you've had some support and some uh, loving guidance, you know, you're free to go into the world. And then the rest of my colleagues can jump in and, you know, what Dr. Greenspan was doing there is what he was trained to do as a young psychiatrist. Okay. Well, I know our time is up, so I want to thank you very much for being with us and ask you if you have anything else that you feel uh, a burning desire to add to the topic before we say uh, uh, adieu till next time. <laughs> well, you know, you have to be careful when you ask me uh, any open-ended question because, as you know, knowing me well, I would talk for another hundred hours that uh, this is really basically what I think about all day long. So when someone asks me if I have something I want to say, I can fill the space. But I will spare you that. Actually, we'd think. love to go on for hours if you're willing. <laughs> well, maybe maybe another time. But I really appreciate the opportunity to answer a couple questions here. And it's always a joy to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And you can go to the website, um, for links to Dr. Tippy's blog, Dr. Tippy, you've got to get another blog uh, posted there. The last one you did was in March. I know. <laughs> I've been working so hard on a bunch of grants and uh, some new programs and a lot of other pretty cool things that we're doing that I haven't had a chance at self-promotion, but I'll, I'll get back to being more self-focused soon. We would love to hear about all of those projects, and we'll keep an eye on your blog. And tune in again in two weeks uh, for the next blog. Thank you very much for listening.